0: Uh, my name's Chris. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I have 20 minutes, so I gotta get going here. Grab a Bible, quickly. Go to Ephesians 1, quickly, because that's what we're gonna be. We're gonna try and get through. F- Why are you laughing? Why? <laughs> Because you know me, that's why. Oh, so nice to be home with family. Hey, a couple things we got to celebrate before we do, okay? It takes me 20 minutes just to get to the sermon, so I don't know how I'm going to preach it in 20 minutes. Um, Man, we got baptisms next Sunday. I know Andrew announced it, but like this morning, I had like four or five people come up and say, I want to get baptized next week. So uh, yeah, next Sunday, be here. We're going to, I don't know how many people for sure, but there's a bunch. We're going to be around 10 or so people getting baptized. If you want to get baptized, if you uh, haven't made a public... Uh, profession of faith yet, then come and talk to me, talk to Andrew. Uh, We will hook you up and get you dunked. Uh, Second thing is uh, we love birth and new birth, right? We love adoption. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of new birth, but we also love like real live births. That's weird. We have a couple of new babies, right? Be fruitful and multiply. I think that's what we do really well around here. I think there's been 700 babies born in the last I don't know, six weeks. Don't eat the scones. I think that's what happens. I saw a pregnant guy eating the scones, so stay away from the scones. Uh, so we've got Sam is here with her new baby. I don't know any of the details. You can stand up. Yeah, come on, why not, right? This is Grandma Christine. Turn around. And we have baby, what a, baby Amber Lee. Amber Dave wants to know. Oh, so exciting. So exciting. Oh, that's so funny. Uh, Corey and Jules, I saw you come in. Oh, yeah. Hey, there you are. Stand up, Corey and Jules. Yeah. Yeah. Corey, yell. You can yell. Yell. Give us the details. Awesome. Congratulations, guys. Congratulations. Exciting stuff. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, you have a Bible, grab it. If you don't have a Bible, there's some here on the table. Our gift to you, Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what I'm going to get you to do, actually, just because you've been sitting for all. Stand up. I'm going to read this text. We're going to stand this morning for the reading of God's Word. Just a few verses. Uh, and then I'm going to come back and unpack them. So Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read verses 4, 5, and 6. Starting in verse 4, the Apostle Paul writes this. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Why don't you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word this morning, as we unpack this beautiful, beautiful picture of what you've done for us, this beautiful picture of adoption. May our affections be stirred. Uh, May our hearts be warmed. May we be uh, moved not just uh, with tears or even with just conviction, but would we be moved to the point of worship that we would actually offer ourselves as living sacrifices, that this would change us and transform us, and it would turn our world upside down. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen. You guys can grab a seat. What I want to do this morning, we've been talking about the what of adoption, a little bit of the why. What I want to do is talk specifically about the why of adoption. So from these verses, I'm going to give us uh, four pictures that we see of adoption. So essentially, though, the why, let me just give you the kind of one sentence summary of the why of adoption. And that is this, it's the gospel, The reason we even have a morning on adoption, the reason we even talk about this as a church, the reason we celebrate it, it's not because we're the kind of church that's into good deeds. It's not because we're the kind of church that is into religious obedience. It's because we're the kind of church that is into Jesus. And what we see in the New Testament, all through the whole scriptures really, is when we talk about the work that Jesus has done in our place, giving himself for us, there's a number of metaphors Uh, If you read uh, John Stott's book called The Cross of Christ, he talks uh, about the gospel and he says it's like a 12-sided jewel. There's 12 different uh, pictures that we see in the scriptures that that, that display for us or put on display for us the work that Jesus has done for us. And the reason for that is because the the work is so powerful, it's so transforming that it's hard to just like give it a word. And so there's all these analogies that the New Testament gives us that help us understand what has been done. And one of the dominant ones, it's not the dominant one, but one of the dominant ones, is this picture of adoption? We see this clearly in you know Romans eight, which is a just a wonderful chapter of scripture. We see it in Galatians chapter four, wonderful chapter of scripture. I mean, every chapter of scripture is wonderful because God wrote it. But uh, we see it here in Ephesians one. We see this picture of adoption, and so what I want to do from these verses is just give us uh, four pictures of adoption that that will hopefully uh, stir our affections to the point that that what. Ultimately, we will see is that what God does in us, He wants to do through us. That the work of Jesus is never just for us. It's to do something through us. We see this in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, where God comes to Abraham and He says, I'm going to bless you, but not just so you can sit back and enjoy the blessings of God. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. Uh, we see this in the New Testament, where where, where Jesus says, "I'm going to send the Spirit of God. He's going to testify to your heart that I am indeed Lord. But then you will go out and you will be my witnesses, testifying to the goodness and grace of what I have done in your life." And so that's what we want to do as a church. We want to come here today and not go, "Hey, go, go, go! Adopt kids. Go do stuff." We want to we want to stare, gaze, fix our eyes on the beauty, the wonder, the majesty of Jesus. We want to see what he has done for us, what he has done in us, what he wants to do through us, and then we would live our lives differently. Amen? So the first picture is this, that adoption is an act of sheer grace. Look at what Paul says in the first half of verse 4. It says, for he chose us in him. We get this beautiful picture of the grace of God, that it is indeed that, the grace of God. Uh, the word grace literally means unearned, unmerited favor. And so what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that, that God's uh, saving of you was not, that he didn't look down at you and think, oh man, you guys are so wonderful. Look at their smiles. Look at their cute little babies. They're so awesome. I just need to have them on my team. That's not at all the picture that we see in the New Testament and all throughout the scriptures of the grace of God. What we see is that it is not us who is great, And and because of our greatness, because of our performance, because of our religious obedience, because of our helping of old ladies crossing the street, because of our trying really, really, really hard to be good people, we somehow earn our way into the kingdom of God, or we somehow earn the favor and grace of God, or the love of God, or the mercy of God. Not at all. What we see is that God chooses us. He pursues us. He comes after us. He loves us. It's him. He is the one who is good, and he is the one who comes to us. He gives us what we don't deserve. As we've been getting ready to move into baptisms next week and and one of the great joys and delight that I get to do and I hope you get to do as well as you see people come to faith in Jesus in your community group and as you have conversations with people, your neighbors, your friends who are coming to faith in Jesus is sitting down and hearing their stories. And without fail, every single time when I hear someone's testimony of coming to faith in Jesus, it sounds something like this. God was pursuing me long before I was pursuing him. I wasn't looking for him. He was looking for me. And what kind of, it just just struck me as I was talking to somebody this week, like, this person didn't even know, like, who Jesus was. And yet Jesus saved them. It's grace. It's unearned. It's unmerited favor. God gives, and he gives, and he gives, and he gets nothing in return ultimately a picture of adoption. As we've heard, as Shannon was sharing, you know, and when you go out and, and you adopt, oftentimes you're, you're going to give, right? If you're going to adopt a single mom, if you're going to adopt a, a child, if, you're gonna, if your community group's going to participate and rally around even just somebody who has a need, you're going to give and you're going to give and you're going to give. And a lot of times you're not going to get anything in return. In fact, I can just tell you from my own experience, our family is walking out the journey of adoption. A lot of times you give and you give and you give, and it's not that you just don't get anything in return. Sometimes you get hardship in return. Right? Sometimes you hear things like, you're not my real parents. I don't love you. Sometimes they, they turn 16, as is happening to my friend right now, and, and the kid just decides to leave, to go pursue other relationships or pursue their birth parents. It's a lot of pain. It's a lot of hurt. It's not rainbows and puppy dog tails. But it's such a picture of the gospel. Because if we're honest, that's a picture of our relationship with Jesus. He loves us. He pursues us. Like wayward children, we children, We run and we run, and we run, and he has to continually come and continually pursue and continue to love and continue to pour out, getting nothing in return. Adoption is an act of sheer grace. Second picture is this that we see in Ephesians 1. Adoption is God's plan A. So verse 4, back to the beginning, for he chose us in him. Look at this. This is crazy. This is, I don't even know, like, this is, You know, head, heart, explode, mind blown. Oh my gosh, God, you are good and I'm not good. And then I have to somehow try and communicate this here. Look at what it says. For he chose us in him when? Before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, God's plan was adoption. There's an abhorrent teaching that creeps its way into the church, and, and it's subtle, but it's there, and I hear it all the time. It's that God didn't know that humanity was going to rebel from him, and when humanity rebelled from him, the trinity kind of got together, and and are like, well, what, what's going to happen now? We've got to hatch a plan. Oh, Jesus, do you want to go? Sure, I'll go. Okay, and, and off he goes. Goes to the cross. Saves the whole thing. God was kind of caught off guard by our rebellion. He was caught off guard by our sin. He was caught off guard by Genesis chapter 3. He didn't know that part was going to be in the book. Well, according to the Apostle Paul here, and and this is spoken many times in the New Testament, this is just not a one-off verse. This has always been God's plan. Before the foundations of the earth, God's plan was, was to adopt you and me into his family. Why? So that he could make much of Jesus. Before the foundations of the earth, God's plan was that Jesus would go to the cross, was that Jesus would bring glory to the Father, was that Jesus would be buried in a tomb, was that Jesus would be resurrected from the grave, was that Jesus would send the Holy Spirit to pursue you and me, that we would be called sons and daughters, that we could cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy, because we have been adopted into the family of God. It's not his afterthought. Some of you might be sitting here this morning and you've had like rotten relationships with your parents. Maybe you've been abandoned by your parents. Maybe you've been hurt by your parents. Maybe your parents have said horrible things to you. You don't feel loved by them. There's this beautiful reality etched into the very nature and essence of who God is. is He's always wanted you. Let that sit in your heart for just a second. Before the foundations of the earth... He chose you. He predestined you to be his son, to be his daughter, to be his joy and to be his delight. You're not his plan B. You're his plan A. Isn't that good news? I don't know about you, but I always feel like plan A. Sometimes I feel like, yeah, God loves me, but I'm not sure he likes me. He, he puts up with me. According to the Apostle Paul here, God chose you. I play basketball, and I've probably shared this before, but I don't know why we do it this way, but we do. Monday nights I play drop-in basketball, and they do this thing where they line everybody up on the wall. This is just a great way to make a grown man, like, cry. They line all these grown men up on the wall Every Monday. It's like the day of reckoning for some of these guys. And they pick three, four guys to be team captains, and then they pick. They literally, I want you. I want you. There's always that one guy, right? He's last. Sometimes girls come and get picked before him. (laughs) That's not a joke. I feel bad for that guy, but sometimes we feel like that guy. That's our life. What Paul is saying is that God actually chose you. You're not his plan B. You're not his last pick. He wants you. Not because you're good, but because he's good. But here's the implications of that for us. And I want you just to think about this with me for a second. If everything God does to us, he wants to do through us, and adoption is not the plan B, not plan B for God, then I think it stands to reason that adoption then should not be plan B for the church. Adoption should be central to the heart of the church. Like, I think when people think of the church, it should be synonymous with people who adopt. Now, to be fair, if you were to go and ask the ministry about Christians and how many of them adopt, it's a lot, right? Many of the people who adopt are followers of Jesus. But there's a sense in which this should be on the forefront of all of our minds all the time. Now, to echo what Shannon said, Not everyone needs to adopt. Not everyone's equipped to actually take an orphan into their home. But there should be a sense in all of us that we are somehow in the game of adoption, that we are somehow participating in the work that God is doing. So so what that could look like, and there's lots of people in this church who do things like this, but they support someone who's adopting. Like there's a family in the church who sends our family money every single month. They made a commitment. They said when you made the decision to take, uh, Lucas, into to your family, we also made a decision to send you money every month until he graduates from high school. Man, that's a blessing. That's a way to participate in the work that God's doing in adoption. Maybe that's the way you fit in. Uh, we have families here who open up their basement suite and let single moms stay there for sometimes weeks, months at a time. We've had other people who have helped home, uh, house single moms with people who who have literally, you know, lowered the rent and put people in their suite to help them out. There's a myriad of ways. Meals, inviting them into relationship, babysitting their kids. One of our community groups, David and Amy's community group with Cam and Michelle and Sean and Jill who are up on the stage, Uh, they have a lot of single moms. And the dads just go like, hey, we're going to help father these children. We're going to be positive male role models to these children. We're going to teach them how to throw a ball and you know, run, not like a girl, not there's anything wrong with way. girls run, girls run great, but, you know, we want to teach them how to run, and we're going to love them, and we're going to let these moms, like, what a ministry, we're going to take the boys or the kids out into the backyard so the moms can just sit upstairs and have a meal and talk. Like, beautiful picture of the gospel. My point is this, is, is adoption cannot be the plan B of the church. So, so you might be here in your you're thinking, well, if I can't have kids, then I'm going to get into the adoption game. And I would just say, you know, pray, ask the Spirit. But there's a sense, a strong sense that we see in the Scriptures and church history that adoption was plan A. Rodney Stark, he wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. Uh, and in that book, he, uh, he says uh, that, that adoption and orphan care was one of the most significant things that caused the early church to grow. Uh, that the, the way the early church viewed uh, children and, and women, really both of them together, uh, was so countercultural cultural that, that the early church actually exploded with growth. And so he says this in his book. He says, Christians did not practice abortion or the exposure of infants, which he'll explain in just a second. In fact, they passionately condemned such practices. It was common for Greeks, Romans, and those of other ancient cultures to kill unwanted babies, those who were deformed, female, or illegitimate, by leaving them outside to die from exposure to the elements or from being eaten by wild animals. Christians, though, believe that all human life is precious to God and worth advocating for, and they were known to take in victims of attempted infan- infanticide and adopt children whose families could no longer support them, and in this way their numbers grew. This is a massive opportunity for the church, to step into the gap for those who are the most vulnerable. This is a massive opportunity for us as a church, for the church global, to step up and make Jesus look great. We talk a lot around here about living a life that demands a gospel explanation. What better way to do that than to practice adoption? Why are you adopting? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. So I just want to encourage us to not view adoption as our plan B, but as our plan A. The third picture we see here in these verses is this, that adoption always arises out of tragedy. So verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Uh, here, the Apostle Paul is uh, doing something that is called uh, preaching the future you, <laughs> right? This isn't self-help, but what he's doing here is he's talking about what is going to happen to you because of the work of Jesus in you. So in other words, why did Jesus adopt us into his family? Well, according to the Apostle Paul, here's what he says, he did it so that we would be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, now here's the reality, if his adoption of us is what's going to make us holy and blameless in his sight, then there is a reality that at some point we were not holy and blameless in his sight. If you go just fast forward a few verses to Ephesians chapter 2, this is what the Apostle Paul says about us before we were in Christ. Here's what he says, picking up in verse 1 of chapter 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins and which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Here's what the apostle Paul is saying, is that before we were adopted into the family of God, we weren't holy and blameless. We weren't good people. We weren't following Jesus. We didn't love God. We didn't serve him, but we, we gratified the, the desires of the flesh. We, we only served ourselves. We didn't think about God. It was about us. It was about our money, our life, our square footage, our early retirement, our vacation. The universe didn't center around God. It centered around us. We weren't good. But look at what he goes on to say here. There's a great word, right? We, we, we see this right here in verse four, but, it's a great word. This is a but, as I often say, of Sir Mix-a-Lot proportions. But because of what? His great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace, which we just described as unearned, unmerited favor. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms of Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. What's, what's Paul saying here? He's saying that God's adoption of us took us from being unholy and unblameless to being holy and blameless. But, but it's not just that. He's actually seated us in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. In other words, we now have legal status as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. So so just think about this with me for a second. Just like, try, try and wrap your mind and your heart around this. All the promises that are true of Jesus are now true of you if you're in Christ. That's crazy. When we adopted our youngest, Lucas, the first thing we did is we went down to the lawyer and we changed our will. And we added him. So instead of the 20 bucks we're going to have left when we die, <laughs> divided by three, now it's going to be divided by four. So instead of getting seven bucks, we're getting five. It's rough math. but And, and, and listen, here, here's the deal. In our, in our situation, we haven't actually adopted. We're just his legal guardians. He doesn't even share our last name. But... We want him to feel like he is part of our family in every way. And this is what our Heavenly Father has done. And there's this inherent reality that our adoption always, adoption rather, always comes out of tragedy. Our adoption into our Heavenly Father's kingdom came out of tragedy. It came out of our brokenness. It came out of our hopelessness. It came out of our helplessness. We didn't have a spiritual family. We didn't have a spiritual home. We didn't know God. We didn't worship Jesus. We weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. We didn't have the blessings of Christ attributed to us because we were spiritual orphans. The same is true of any adoption. You never hear of an adoption story where everything was going awesome all the time and they had to give up the kids for adoption. No, it's always some brokenness. It's always the death of a parent. It's always hurt. It's always pain. There's addiction. There's abuse. And the church gets to step into the brokenness. Gets to step into the tragedy. And as the grace of God fills us, we get to fill that space with the grace of God. We get to put on display the glorious nature of, and love of Jesus. What an opportunity. Uh, we, we often talk around here about our, our, our hope and our heart as a church is not to fill a movie theater. That's not what we're interested in. Our hope and our heart is to fill a city. Fill a city with people that are living out the gospel so that every day, every man, woman, and child could have a daily encounter with Jesus and his church. We could fill this movie theater and not make a difference in our city. Hear some great sermons. Here's some great music. Pat ourselves on the back, go home, do it again next week. But Jesus calls us to enter into these spaces where there is brokenness, where there is hurt, where there is tragedy, so that he might be made much of, so that our city would know his love, his grace, and his mercy. Here's the fourth picture that we see. It's that adoption comes at a great cost. So verse 4, back up to verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure, with his pleasure and will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one that he loves. There's a reality to adoption that it's very costly. In some instances, it costs money. In some instances, there's an emotional cost, there's a spiritual cost. There's just a hardship all around for everyone involved. There's no way to get around it. And what the Apostle Paul is saying here is our spiritual adoption was costly, it cost Jesus his life. He went to the cross for you and me. He looked at us in our state, our orphan state. And he said, I'm gonna lay down my life for them. Some of us will say things like this I I am willing to accept hard things if they come my way. Right? We pray that prayer sometimes. God, we talk about this with our spouses. We will accept hard things if they come our way. I don't think that's the gospel. Now, I'm, I'm open to correction here. But I think what the gospel calls us to is to pursue hard things for the sake of the glory of Jesus. Jesus left heaven and came to earth. He left his spiritual home and prepared a place for us. He laid down his life that we might be called sons and daughters. And then he invites us to follow him. And when he invites us to follow him, his invitation is like this. I want you to deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow me. And so I think for us as a church, the call, it's not to be sadistic. It's not to hate ourselves. It's not to do things to intentionally hurt ourselves. But there has to be an element to our followership of Jesus that there is a great cost. And the great cost isn't sharing a goofy meme on Facebook and then people saying funny things about you. The cost is our time. The cost is our money. The cost is pain that Jesus might be made much of as the Spirit of God works through our lives. I'm invite the band to come up. And I want to just close with a couple of questions for us. The first one is this. When we hear about The saving reality of the grace of Jesus, as Paul lays it out for us in Ephesians 1. How can we not be moved to do something for the sake of the mission of Jesus? How can we not be moved in some way to open up our lives, to open up our hearts, to participate with others as we continue to model what Jesus has done for us? Remember, what God has done in you, he wants to do through you. And then the second question is this, if not the church, then who? Who? Like, what if we were known as the, the people that ended the orphan crisis in British Columbia, in Canada, in, in the world, Wouldn't that be good news? Wouldn't that be good news to our city. Wouldn't it be good news if when people said, Hey, have you heard of West Village? They didn't say, Oh, you mean the church that meets in the movie theater? That's what they always say. They said, Oh, you mean the church with all the orphans? You mean the church that we call whenever there's a single mom that, that can't make it till the next paycheck comes in? Wouldn't that be amazing? And not because they would think great things about us, because we know, guys, you've been here, you know, we're not great. Because Jesus is great. He's great. It's what he's done for us. It's what he wants to do through us. I want to invite us into a time of response. And uh, this is how we respond every week if you're new. We have a particular way that we respond to the Word of God. So we hear the Word of God, and then we feel like it calls us into this place of response. And so uh, the way we respond, we respond in a few ways. The the first way is we sing. We're going to sing a couple songs together about the goodness and grace of God, celebrating what He's done for us. Uh, We respond in giving, and as has already been said, you can give at the jars or electronically in the lobby. If you're a follower of Jesus, then then we encourage you to give like Jesus. If you're not, then don't worry about it. Uh, We respond by receiving prayer. Maybe some of you are here this morning, and you just need prayer. Ken and Rena, uh, elder couple will be in the back there to pray with you if you need someone to pray with you. Uh, and then the last way that we respond, and, and this, is, this is the high point of our morning. It's not the sermon. It's not the stories. It's not uh, the clapping and the laughing. It's this moment right here where we come to the table. Oh, uh, We come forward and we take what we call communion. There's going to be uh, two stations, one at the front of each of the aisles here. And when you come forward, you'll see uh, a cracker, which represents the broken body of Jesus. And then you'll see either wine or juice, whichever you prefer. Just simply dip that cracker in in whichever one you you would prefer and and eat it. Uh, But really, what this is a picture of is Jesus who laid down his life for us. Uh, This is a picture of everything we just talked about, which is the adoption of God, God's adoption of us into his family. It's a picture of Jesus who gave his life for us that we might be called sons and daughters. And it's a reminder of a bunch of things. One, that God loves you dearly. But two, that you've been bought with a price. That you are no longer your own, but you are his. And he wants to work in you and through you so that others may experience that which you've experienced. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have adopted us into your family. We thank you that you have given us your grace. We thank you that you have given us your mercy. and We ask, Lord, as we respond, that we would be changed and transformed by it. We ask that we would come to the table this morning with soft hearts, hearts full of thankfulness for what you have done, We would literally take in your forgiveness. We would take in your shed blood and your broken body for our sins in our place. We would walk back up those stairs as forgiven people, knowing your love, knowing your grace that was so freely given. And we would be radically changed because of it. We pray in Jesus' name.